Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. Wondering what head stands for? What H is for happiness, E for empowerment, and D for development. This is the podcast that will discuss topics from the 40-year-old perspective. This is where we will help to navigate you through this new chapter of your life. I'm your host, Sherry, and my co-host is named Kim. To join this community, push the subscribe button to get all the latest head episodes. And to help our head message grow, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment as well. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Giving Head. H-E-D. Now let's get into it. Hey, Head Tribe. Welcome back to Giving Head, the podcast. I know we've been away for a while, but... I am excited to come back with one of my longtime friends, Carla Zul. She is awesome. Um, She is inspiration and she is motivation. We sit down, Kim and I, and have an awesome conversation with Carla. So let me just give you a little bit of her background. She's been a journalist for the past 20 years. She's worked in several years in print, electronic, and digital media. She is an editor and founder of todayinbermuda.com, but she killed that online publication in order to birth shehub.tv, a website dedicated to all things women. She's the former assistant news director at Bermuda Broadcasting News. And Carla also co-hosts The Daily Hour from her home in Manchester, England, and is also the editor of Bermuda Parent Magazine. Now, 2020 marks the fifth anniversary of the Women's Empowerment Summit, an annual event held each November in Bermuda. Carla is the dedicated mother of three children, 19-year-old Sakile, 14-year-old Ajani, and 10-year-old Naeem. She has just completed studying her master's degree in public relations and will graduate in December. Head Tribe, please welcome Carla Zul. Well, Carla, welcome to Giving Head the Podcast. I am so happy to be doing this interview with you because I've just known you for a very long time. I was going to say, is there a time when I really didn't know each other? I can't even remember. Probably from babies. <laughs> but we have definitely connected since our teenage years and even more now in our adult years. And we're introducing Kim into the field. And when she gets a part of the CNS field, she's going to be like, what the devil? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm excited. Welcome, Carla. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of your awesome podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I guess we can just get started. So Carla, tell us a little about yourself. Where are you born? Where'd you grow up? I'm from Bermuda, born and bred. I spent a few years overseas in the States for university, went to University of Georgia, have a degree in journalism. And in 2016, I found myself... I migrated to Manchester, England. That's an interesting journey in itself. Mm. Um, We'll get into that. But I'm in Manchester. I've been here since then. So I I visit home at least once a year, but this is home. Oh, wow. Okay. And University of Georgia. I'm in (laughs) Georgia. How ironic is that? So I knew Kim was going to be excited about that. (laughs) How was that going to school there at UGA? It was a wake-up call, Kim. Coming from Bermuda, the reason I chose University of Georgia was really, I was in a whole different space. So my grandma was alive, my absolute favorite person on earth, and I wanted to be one flight from home because she was in her 90s, and I wanted to be one flight from home, but I wanted to be warm. So the North was out of the question. I really wanted to go to UCF in Florida, but um two flights were out of the question. And back then it was good old Kiwi Airlines. Oh, and- wow. <laughs> I remember. Kiwi, Kiwi oh, Airlines. Wow. And to this day, I don't like the city life. So I didn't want to be in Atlanta. And I wanted to play softball because I was a national squad player for Bermuda at one point. So I said, oh, this place called UGA. So I get in, I get up there, and I have registration. And... I'm like, it's no way it says like it's 400 people in a class. 
Because in Bermuda, I went to Bermuda College before, you know, coming out to go into UGA. On average, maybe 30, 40 students. Right. Walked into my first class. I'll never forget it. Intro to PR. So all those people in that amphitheater burst Mm -hmm. into tears and left. (laughs) (laughs) It was a reality check because in Bermuda, it's predominantly Black. And being in an environment, I had never been the minority before. So that was a huge cultural shock for me. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Then I started to realize what that stat meant when it said, remember we used to look at that big fat university book and you look at all your right. students. Mm-hmm. And when it says 7% black, I, I understood what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that that moment is going to come 360 to probably where you are now. And we'll get to that. But Tell us, I know you're a mother of three, Mm -hmm. and if you follow Carla in any social media realm, you will see her three children, especially her youngest, Um, (laughs) because he is quite the character he is. But tell us about your your experience as a mother. When you, how ill were you entering into motherhood? And tell us about that experience between having your three children. We talked about three different fathers. Talk to us about that. Well, Sakile is nineteen. I had her when I had her by three months shy of my seventh birthday. Ajani is fourteen, and Naeem is ten, turning eleven in December. Kiki's daddy was my best friend, my buddy, my road dog. We partied together. It's interesting because he played a key role in one form of my evolution, right? Tall, light skin, green eyes. You know, I thought back then I was so dark. I'm a nice toasty brown, right? But (laughs) in Bermuda, you were taught that being dark and being dark with nappy hair was a deficit. So I remember when he tried to talk to me at Captain's Lounge and he was like, oh, corny. Oh, Mama Africa was good to us, right? And I had these little whips because I was starting to grow my dreads. Right. And I was like, me, not me. <laughs> we were just inseparable. So we had, um, we call it Kiki. We had Kiki. And even with that, I remember just before I had her, I cried my eyes out. I bowled my eyes out because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have this black, ugly baby. Like, wow. I, no, it was horrible. No, seriously, it was horrible because I just always felt like I was the darkest of my dad's kids. I was the darkest of my mom's kids. My parents weren't together. I was the darkest. I feel that my mom, and I've told her this, but I think it's, it's hard for her to hear some of the ways that she would describe my dad. And if I look like him, then I must be that too. So I carried that for me for years. So when they handed me this little baby, February 3rd, 2001, high yellow, almost looking white with these green eyes, I was like, who is this? (laughs) (laughs) If I didn't see him cut him out, I wouldn't have thought she was mine. (laughs) And to Dean's credit, he really nurtured me through that. He was like, why do you think that of yourself? But Mm. I had grown up at that point, 26 years. Yes, I was well-known. Yes, I was well-liked. But I intrinsically, internally, I was just struggling with accepting this dark skin and kinky hair. And so Mm -hmm. God presented you with this light-skinned baby with green eyes, the total opposite of probably also who you hated on, probably back in the day as well. Like you lot think she's pretty just because she's light-skinned, got pretty eyes. Not hated on, but actually hated. Honestly, I've never been one to be jealous of another female, but Mm -hmm. I hated light-skinned girls, resentful. I felt insecure to them. It was weird. Like I couldn't be in a space with whoever I considered a light-skinned girl because when I was 12, there's a girl with green eyes, ironically, who said to me, my friend invited me to a sleepover and she said, don't invite Blackie. I'll never forget it. 30 something years later, I will never forget it. So here then I have this child who represented everything that I couldn't stand. Mm-hmm. And I said that was God's way of showing me about love. Because I can honestly say the first time I truly fell in love was when I had her. And even when we'd be places and people would be like, that's not your daughter. Like they mm-hmm. say to her, who's your mommy? We were in New York and someone said, are you her nanny? Oh, wow. And I just believe we have to be careful in the words we speak. Or oh, I'd get this one. Oh, that's your daughter? How'd she get so pretty? Mm-hmm. But then... 
him and I, there were some things he needed to take care of. And if you know me, I'm a very strong personality. And I was like, look, you have a deadline. You need to deal with this stuff. He didn't deal with it. And I understand it now why he didn't. Mm -hmm. It was another child involved. And I was like, if you don't handle your business, I'm out. He had a deadline. I gave him a three-month extension. He didn't do it. I was out. Not an extension call. I was thinking the same thing. I like that, the extension. I gave him an extension, a three-month extension, and he still didn't do it. And I was like, well, clearly we don't mean enough to you. Bye. And, And it's funny because that was 27. When I turned 30, I was like, okay, you know what? Life has to change at 30. So I want different things out of life. How did I end up? And I remember a Johnny's dad always trying to holler at me, see me out. And he was a, a no good thug. There's no other way right. to put <laughs> no other way to put it. And I was like, no, you're not good for me. And he was my typical what I usually liked. But you know when you like something, but you know it's not good for you. And I was like, I'm 30 now. I can't deal. Well, what happens? He he breaks me down. And then he was very abusive. Um, had deep, deep parental issues. Mm. And of course, as a intelligent black woman who often in brackets, I'm going to put stupid because we tend to be stupid at times. And I thought that if I loved him enough, he would be different, you know, very physically abusive to the point where one time he beat me up so bad, I ended up in hospital to get my shoulder checked out because it had come out. And then about three weeks after that, I found that I was pregnant with a Johnny and he was like, F you, F your baby. And I never saw him since. Oh, wow. And that I probably had the best sleep ever. Mm. I am pro-choice, so I contemplated abortion. But then I was like, you know what? Bermuda's always got all these masks on. Like a lot of people to me in Bermuda are frauds. They might be hurting and smile. They might be broke and pretend that they're not. And I was like, if you get an abortion... You're just perpetrating a fraud because you lay with dogs, you got fleas, right? Right. I did math. I could afford my child at that point. I didn't know I was having a boy. And bang, I decided to keep him. I made my peace with it. And I didn't see his dad anymore until I was about seven months pregnant. I bumped into him. And then ironically, he left Bermuda the same week that Ajani was born. And I never saw him again until about two years later. And then after that, I hadn't seen him until last summer. The first time a Johnny ever laid eyes on his dad was last summer at 13 years old. Would you say that because um, when he decided to leave you at the beginning of your pregnancy, most times that would have been detrimental for a woman pregnant, would you say was kind of the best pregnancy knowing that and maybe not the best circumstance, but you were more at peace because I do believe in energy being transferred over to babies. So would you have said that this was a peaceful time during your pregnancy, despite the circumstance? For the most part, yes, because he would have killed me or I would have killed him. Mm. It's no other way to put it. Right. And so for me, I made peace with it because, again, I could have decided to have an abortion and I chose not to. The only thing that was eating at me was Black boys need all the support that they can get. And I was concerned about a father figure for Johnny. Mm -hmm. But I also knew on the flip side that he would not have been a proper father figure for him. And so I would rather raise my son on my own As opposed to, I've seen the damage that it's done when dads are in and out of children's lives and neglecting all. So for me, I would rather have full responsibility and take the ups, the downs, the credits, the discredits, than to allow my son to become a victim, a psychological victim of neglect. Mm -hmm. So um, fast forward, I was pregnant. (laughs) My high school sweetheart comes into the picture and I'm like, no, we can't do this. You know, I'm pregnant. Then I was about 13 weeks mm-hmm. and he was like, no, you know, I want to be there. And to his credit, he was there. He was there when Ajani was born. So Ajani had a father figure and he wanted another child right away. But I was like, no, because I was conscious of the two children, two different dads. And I was like a third one and a third dad. Now nah, I'm not doing that. And so much that had gone on. But when Naeem was born, I was actually on my way out. 
I knew that I did not need to be in that relationship. And a part of me did hold on because he was such a good dad to Johnny. But it comes to a point where I was just like, nah, this is ridiculous. I'm holding on to nothing. And I, April the 9th, 2009, girl, I'm <laughs> dates, me and dates, right? And I peed on that damn stick, like, about well, six of them things, and they all came back pregnant. And How many sticks? Well, six of them, because I did not want that baby. <laughs> I pee backwards, forwards, sideways. Damn. Ready for your morning pee and everything. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I was going to get an abortion. It's so funny how life works because I was going to abort him. I did not want him. And his dad was like, well, you know, I've been such a good dad to a Johnny. He was physically and emotionally a great support. But financially, I took care of everything. Mm-hmm. So no one paid bills for my son, for Ajani. Ajani was never anyone's burden as such. Not even my mom and dad helped me with my son. I was in the position where I took care of everything. He has one godfather who made sure twice a year he gave me $500 to ensure that he had seasonal clothes, school clothes. But Ajani's whole life, I provided, I've been the only provider for him to this day, right? Mm -hmm. So when I had Eames, that was just the worst experience ever. Dealing with cheating women and, oh my God, I was horrible. Mm. Wanting to fight girls and calling girls and wanted to go around their jobs. And he had done something to me and I just couldn't get over and I was angry. I mean, I'd even slapped him upside his head a couple of times, you know? And I was just like, this is not a good situation. And it's funny, ironically, you asked about when you're talking about the energy. Naeem has a fiery temper to this day. Mm-hmm. It was from all the anger and angst and pissivity and every negative word you could think of that festered in me mm. while I was pregnant up until he was probably oh, he was two because I did an anger management class, which started to shift everything. But it was horrible, Sherry. I wanted a child up until last year and I couldn't figure out why. Mm. And it was because my experience with his pregnancy and the first couple of years was so bad. I don't remember them. Mm. It was so different from what you've experienced with your other two. It was so horrible. And ironically, that was the relationship that I wanted two children out of because I was like, if we have one, we're going to have two because I got to give you more than what I gave the other two insofar as a second child, right? But I think that was more societal pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, horrible, horrible. But I'm thankful because I have the most beautifulest little boy. I couldn't imagine life without him. He's a hot mess. It was a journey, Kim. It has been a journey. And that's what being a parent is and definitely motherhood. I'm a mother as well. So I understand. And I totally agree with Sherry with the energy you do. You have to continue to be at a particular mindset because they feel that and they feed off of that. Like you said, you saw that fire attitude in him because of how you were during that pregnancy, but that was then. And here we are now. Mm-hmm. And that whole, as we used to be, is no longer of who we are right now. Well, I'm going to throw it in because Kim, her blood is from Trinidad, right? Her blood, right? (laughs) I'm going to suppress her sometimes. So she has a son and he just turned 16, but he is so chill and laid back. He is so not his mama. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you where that came from. Honest to God, my energy when I was pregnant with my son. I knew and know that I'm a firecracker and I didn't want my son to be like that. My pregnancy, there were some things that wasn't always up to par either, but I had to remain at a positive mindset despite all of that, because I did not want him to pick up on that. (laughs) When I delivered my son, I nursed him for a year. And throughout that time, I had to remain at a positive mindset because That was coming through. And just this morning, I prayed over him and thank God, because he is not the firecracker. 
He is the calm <laughs> to the firecracker. He puts the firecracker out. His MS that calm where sometimes when you're like arguing, you're like argue back. Like, you know, you want like, okay. to like say something. You know? <laughs> it makes me wonder as well, like moving forward, what type of man is he going to be? But yeah, he's so calm. But he handles it in his ambate. You know, he'll be like, I got this auntie. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> but you spoke of um, Carla. Now we we have three kids with three different fathers, and the stigma that you know society. I can't even just say Bermuda because I think it's all over the world that you know there's a stigma coming that comes along with that. How do you take that on, or how have you taken that on, and how does that affect you know your kids? Can I add one piece to that too? Living there now in Manchester, like how was that as well? I mean, God, there's so many ways to look at this, but initially, because my middle son's dad was never there, to me, he just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was also some psychological survival for me as well, because I wasn't so much worrying about the stigma, the greater worry was what happens when this child starts asking questions? So Naeem's dad is light-skinned with curly hair and Ajani called him father and he treated him like his son. But at some point, Ajani's going to say, well, if that's my daddy, why is he light and I'm dark, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't even look like him. And so for me, it was always about the truth will be told when he was old enough to understand. I was just concerned on how would he handle it because Mm. the son just shone on his father, the only father that he knew. But then we had a, sometimes life hands, hands those reality checks that we don't quite prepare for. So I will never forget it at his family's house. They did this collage and Naeem was in the collage and my son wasn't. Wow. That pissed me off because I'm like, wow, I thought that like that was his grandparents, his auntie, his, you know, his auntie, his cousins, and they never treated him any way. Mm. But then when that picture, he was heartbroken and he, he had to be about four or five. And he was like, why am I not in that picture? And he asked, he said, Nana, why am I not in that picture? To me, that was the first reality check for me. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, well, wow, I, I thought that. They considered him his family, but this shows that he's not. Now, I'm a zoo. Some people may not even know. I am not a biological zoo. My dad adopted me when I was four. I've been in that family since I was two. I'm now 46. There's no family picture that will ever be posted of us, and I'm not in it unless I'm not physically there. Right. So growing up in a blended family, we genuinely love each other. So that threw me back like, wow. Now that... The kids, so with Dean, Dean and I are friends to this day. He gets on my nerves. I tell him off. He disappears for a couple of weeks. And then he'd be like, Zoo, you all right? So we got on very well. He was always a present. So he would come to the house and he has girls. So he loved being around the boys because it was like he wished he had boys. And to this day, that's Uncle Dean. Johnny's dead. He's non-existent to us. Johnny has an uncle who he's very close with. And so for me, it was important that Johnny knew his uncle. He knows his great grandmother. Um, he doesn't know his grandmother by her choice. But I just feel those that don't want to know him, it's their loss. But he does have extended family because it was important for me, for him to understand that he doesn't come from shit mm-hmm. on his internal side. So those who want a relationship with him, he has one. Um he found out he has a brother. I've always known that he had a brother that was about five months under him and he lives out here in the UK. So I looked for the mom, reached out to her and the boys now talk. Mm. So we're arranged to have a visit and the mom's like, thank you for doing this. It's whoever's not in his life. It's their loss, you know? So it's not a thing of sorrow for us. It's just our reality with Naeem's dad it's in a very precarious space right now because he's made conscious decisions not to support his son. And I was very angry about that for a long time, but I always allowed Naeem to have communication with him. But I did warn him and I said, a time's going to come when I cannot protect these boys from you anymore and they're going to take their own decisions. 
well, Ajani wants nothing to do with him anymore. And neither does Naeem. And I have done everything, but Naeem is almost 11. And Naeem's like, mommy, can you please stop trying to make me talk to him? Mm. And I'm like, but Amy, he's going to blame me, blah, blah. He's like, but it's not you. I said, do you want to call your nana and your papa? Nope. So there is nothing that I can do. Right. Now, sometimes it's lovely having a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old because we sit up and we talk a lot, the three of us, right? Naeem's still a bit young, and oftentimes he's in bed, and it's like 1, 1 1.30 in the morning, all three of us are talking. And I would ask him, how do you guys feel? Like, are you embarrassed that you have different dads? And Sakile makes me laugh because she always says to a Johnny, listen, having a daddy is overrated. My dad is so clingy, blah, 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 blah. But... (laughs) They laugh and they talk. And you know what they said to me? Stop being so hard on yourself. You're not the first. You won't be the last. You take care of us hand over foot. We don't need for anything. We're not lacking. And our quality of life is not bad. And my daughter's always saying to me, Mama, you just need to chill out because you keep, it's like you want us to find something wrong with your parenting. And you are enough for us. So... (laughs) It's okay, but I couldn't vocalize it for a long time. But now, because in my commitment to walk in my truth, I have the Women's Empowerment Summit. I can't sit up there and empower women and not be able to walk in what it is and who I am. But I'll tell you this, though. Bermuda is very, as you know, Sherry, is very, it's all about favoritism. And I would like to think I'm one of those who are favored. I've had girls say about another girl, oh, she's got three baby daddies and she's this and this and that. And I'll be like, so do I. But you're different. No. I'm not. But because she may not be a public figure or high profile or is educated or from a, you know, so you look down on her. But really, I'm no different than her. Circumstances may be different, but it is what it is. In Manchester, in Manchester, it's different because people have children all over the place out here as well. I know sometimes like they'll look at the boys and they'll, cause they're so distinctively different in their coloring. They'd be surprised at their brothers, but out here it's the colorism of it. So Naeem's gorgeous and beautiful because he's light skinned where Johnny's just a nice boy because, and they're both really good looking kids. I'm not saying it cause they're mine. So it's the colorism more than the, very few people say, do they have the same dads? And I just don't answer them because you're not in my company. If it's one of my good friends, I'll tell you. But mm-hmm. if you're not about me, I don't have to answer to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of your good friends, you should already know. Right. <laughs> I think what I wanted to find out is how is in this particular section of your life, your happiness, empowerment, and development as it comes to mothering, as it comes to dealing with three or not really two different um, men for your kids in this particular section, how were you able to develop that? Well, again, with Dean, like Kiki's 19 now. And so it's funny. He always wants to talk to me. I'm like, listen, she's 19. I don't have to talk to you anymore. Right. So Dean and I, we get along really well. And Sakila is 19 now. So they really, we don't have to talk, right? Right. But if he needs my support in something, I'm here for him. It may be, can you write a letter for me? Or can you help me how to word this or something? I'm there for him. The middle one, non-existent. Naeem's dad, he, he tests my head. Okay? He tests it because he's determined to be stuck in yesterday. And I refuse. Mm-hmm. So like you, Kim, I'm a firecracker. What I've learned now is to process. Mm-hmm. I am who I am now, which I'm not negative. I'm very empowering. I'm actually much, much more chilled. I've leveled up spiritually. So he can't take me back there. So even when he says things that would usually evoke a response, I'm now to the point because of holistically where my life is, I can just ignore him. And I I tap myself on the back sometimes. I'm like, girl, you did not lose that battle today because the (laughs) old me would have either had to have the last word or I would have asked him off. So it's all about manifesting. And I believe that once you let go of yesterday, a whole pile of beautiful things open up for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a whole opportunity of possibilities. 
Here's the thing, though. Um, there are some people who would be probably listening to this podcast and be like, she's a bitch. And the thing of it was, no, I don't think people understood the anger that I had in regards to my last breakup. And I talk about it because it was so pivotal to who I am today, because that breakup, that experience made me the most horrible bitter, resentful female ever. I look back, you know how Facebook gives you these memories and I right. read some of my posts and I'm like, damn, you said that? But <laughs> I would never forget. It was March, 2015. I woke up one day and I said, girlfriend, you woke up. Some people didn't do that today. Mm-hmm. You have a chance to make your life whatever you want it to be. And you cannot keep thinking that you can only be in contingent to what other people perceive you to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are some people who are stuck on who I was and there's nothing I can do. And he's one of those people. So he talks to me based on the past Mm -hmm. and I can talk into him based on who I am now and he just can't handle it. What would you say to him? I I think this is what I was going to say in the sense of your brainwashing your son to be against him? Well, I'm not. And I'll tell you, and I've said to him, so what I did was the big issue for me was child support, right? But you cannot make someone do and be something they don't want to. So I heard he um, was not living optimally. He looked bad, for example. I sent him a a message and I said, listen, I'm willing to write off this $22,000 debt. He hadn't paid in like three, three, over three years. I was like, I'm willing to write it off. I'm like, because I think the reason you feel and look so bad is because this debt is hanging over your head and you're running from it. So if I write it off, you owe me nothing. The only thing I ask for is sole custody of Naeem and to change his last name from a double barrel to my name and I'll wipe out the debt and I will not put you back in court because I felt that would give him his freedom. And of course, what did he say? He said, no, right? Mm-hmm. I said, I just want to give you freedom. I want to give you peace. And I feel that this child support, because it's warrants for your arrest, stop list on the airport, it's hindering you from living. So I thought I was giving him a gift. So when he refused to accept that and still didn't pay, <laughs> I just knew that he's going to be who he is, but it took a burden off. So that money no longer matters to me. Now he started to pay Again, I don't know whether he turned himself in or they caught up with him. But then Naeem still refuses to talk to him. Mm. I said to him, listen, this is because it takes more than money to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Call him. Reach out to him. But he sends messages, but they're always dripping in venom. So mm-hmm. Naeem enough to see for himself. At this point, I could care less if he thinks that it's me because it's not. I've done everything, but he's now old enough to make his own decisions. Mm -hmm. So I have peace in that. And I've never, ever, in all the things, I've never, ever prevented any of my children having relationships with their fathers. Because the one thing that I always missed growing up was my father. I didn't spend a night at my father's house until I was 17 years old. That still impacts me to a certain extent today. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to speak. I didn't speak to Dean for 10 years, you know. Oh, wow. But I never missed any event in Kiki's life. I never prevented him from supporting her. All I had to do was say, good afternoon, good morning, and good night. And you call and say you're on your way and she'll be waiting on the door and vice versa. So it's not about having a relationship. It's about having a respect and a mutual understanding that we're going to love this child commonly. Mm-hmm. I can't force that on you. So he can blame me. I'm okay with it. My proof is in my pudding. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, my children, are, if I, God forbid, drop dead tomorrow, my children will know that unequivocally their mom loved them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that she kept this... Um open door policy for him. I've said before too, my parents are divorced. And the one thing I can say that neither one of them talked badly about each other. As you get older, you kind of now see a couple of things that each one would have said about each other or 
had probably had said about each other. You know, some things came to light, but my mom never talked bad about my dad and my dad never talked bad about my mom, like with venom, I would say, you know, it was, it was small things, but nothing huge that was impactful that made me dislike either one of them or feel some type of way, you know? You know what though, with, with Kiki, she actually said to me about a month ago, she was like, you deceived me. And I'm like, what? And she said, because you painted my dad as this hero. And she was like, but you've done so much that you will not take credit for. Because I think sometimes just, I'm like, girl, he's your daddy up. Because he's cool. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> With a Johnny, a Johnny was 11. We were out here and we were driving and he said, mommy, why did my daddy leave? Did, does he not love me? And I said, yeah, he loves you, but he just don't know how. And he asked me certain things and I shared with him to a certain extent. He said, so why did you have me? And I was like, because I love you. And he was like, okay. And then with Naeem, I really did try to force him to reach out to his dad and talk to him. But he is clear. He's like, no. So I was like, come on, I'll call him. I even said to him, which was huge for me. I said, I'll video call him with you and support you and have a conversation with your dad. And he said, no. So at one point I found myself always trying to defend because of course he's going to tell his people and you know how girls are, they believe what they want to believe. So I had people looking at me with crooked eyes, saying stuff about me. And I was always trying to defend it, Mm -hmm. but I had to just let it all go because at the end of the day, it is what it is. And the truth always comes out. Yeah. You know, so it's not my battle anymore. I didn't want Naeem to have this with his paternal family, but he's old enough. I forced him when I came home last summer, I forced him to go mm-hmm. and he cried. He called me every single day, yeah. every single day. Even he found out my job because I gave him a piece of paper for all the numbers. He'll call every single number till he found me every day. Wow. He won't. He does not want to come to Bermuda because he's like, you're going to make me go spend time and I don't want to do it. Mm. And I've never, you know, I said, let's call one of them. He's like, no, what, what can I do? Well, the thing is, and, and what can you do? And you have to release yourself at this point that you've done what you can. And he knows that these options are out there and that you're open to provide them. And now you just have to leave it because it's undue stress on both ends. And it doesn't have to be at this point, you know? And I think for you, it's the whole, like, I don't want nobody to think that I'm keeping them from, and the more that you've trying to put that forward, that you don't want no one to think it's you is still backfiring on the back end. You know what I mean? Yes and no. And I will say this, I love the fact that you brought out that you had this conversation with your two older kids and they simply looked at you and said, you've done a great job. And you see that in them. Everything that you did on your journey, it was for that reason. And now you can sit back and honestly breathe and relax and know that you did a hell of a job. You are still doing a hell of a job as a mother. And as we've said, everything will happen as it's supposed to happen. You continue to walk in your truth with your kids and everything that is to manifest will do so. Those who are to be in their lives will be in their lives unforced and it will just authentically happen because you have always raised your kids in that environment. And see, Kim, that's my E in your head. That's my E right there. Even to be empowered as a mom, I could not be that if I didn't put all these unsettled feelings and letting go to bed. And for the longest time, I I kept them at bay. Like I said, I felt like I was at war. And I realized like the only person that you're at war with, Carla, is yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So... When I share with the women in the Women's Empowerment Summit, I share these types of things because I want them to know, I used to think, why me? Like, why me? But I realized it's my catalyst for my gift. And what what I do now, if I see another, because it's usually women who were me six, seven years ago, I'll reach out to them and say, baby, listen, 
you're not taking the right way. I know you're hurting. It's clear you're in pain or you're angry, but this isn't the way to do it. Trust me. I know. And so I've had women pour out their hearts to me and I'm just like, wow, all of that, which I thought was such a punishment, mm-hmm. was really a part of this journey. And my E is so huge right now, you know? And and again, like I'm the editor of Bermuda Parent Magazine. We have the, our talk show, The Daily Hour. I have She Hub, like all these blessings are manifesting, but I was blocking them. And I would like to say this to whoever's listening. People mistook my anger for the breakup me be angry at a breakup. I wasn't angry at the breakup. I was angry at the abandonment of my children. Mm-hmm. And I find that so bizarre that people in their insular vision would look at it as tripping over a male. But when you love, I know you don't have kids, Sherry, but I know that your loyal auntie and godma, when you love your children, right. you will to hell and back. And when your kids are sitting up and they're crying, now you cry for a year straight because one day his dad just didn't come home. Mm. And a kid cries for a year straight and you don't know how to console them. That is the most horrible, indescribable feeling ever. Mm-hmm. And it will make you angry. <laughs> oh, I was. Yeah, and it will make you angry. Like, look, if I was real nasty then, I'm sorry, because I was really pissed off then. Yeah. But rightfully so. And that's the thing about your journey. And it's unfortunate that people don't support people sometimes. And they just make these huge assumptions. Because like you said, that particular journey has now put you in a place, in a position to empower so many other women now. Because you walk that path. And you can identify with certain things to now educate and empower someone else to not make that same mistake. You may fall down, but you don't have to sit there for five days. This time you may only sit there for three and a half days because (laughs) of something that you've said to them. And that's the whole thing about the journey and growing and empowering people. Yeah, because people say, oh my gosh, you're always talking about your business. And I'm like, no, that's not the objective. I'm like, the objective is that there are, I had a woman from Bermuda. She came all the way to Manchester to see me. She was in London and we sat to a bar. This was just before Christmas. And she was just like, thank you. Because she had gone through a divorce. She had four or five kids. And she was like, you say stuff that I'm just not brave enough. She was like, I... I know this sounds sick, but I live through you because you are not afraid to walk in your truth. Like, how did you get there? But the the funny thing is he makes comments towards me. Even to this day, the other day he said to me, and it was such a compliment, right? And I'll tell you why. He said, oh, no one likes you anyway. All you do is you talk about people and people don't, just can't stand you. And I laughed. I smiled and I said, thank you. You know why? Because I've grown so much. Mm-hmm. He is a constant representation of who I used to be. Mm-hmm. And I can look back and say, I'm not her anymore. It just feels good. Mm-hmm. It feels right. good to be able to just be like, hey, that's on you. Yeah. Well, moving on the call of um you're relocated to England. I remember when you're like Sherry, I'm moving to England. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And why are you doing that? Kim, if you may not know like Bermudians are now or have been going to England, right? And I think most people consider it to be somewhat of a trend that, you know, people just up and moving and relocating to England because we can't to the U.S. You know, yes, we live in paradise and yes, it's all of that, but it's 22 square miles. And I don't think if you don't not born and raised there, you don't understand the concept of living on 22 square miles. And seeing the same persons over and over and not having maybe some of the opportunities that you will want. So then Carla, dear, tell me that. And, you know, it's, it's, um, sweets, um, I'm moving to, um, and I'm like, what, what do you mean <laughs> to do what? Like, why? And have you been out there, Carla? Have you seen like, where you, and so I was like, okay, but I'm that person too of, you know, are you moving to Atlanta? Yes. How was that, Carla, with three children in tow, well, two at the time in tow? In 2016, I was going through post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. 
And the P, I, I can never get the acronym, sorry. The PTSD yeah. was through all the shootings in the neighborhood, which started in 2009. And to see all the young, I say young boys, but they were like early 20s, you know, young boys to me, but, and they were just dying like at an unprecedented rate. And being a journalist and having to cover it and then literally switching the hat between covering it to being home, it was just weighing on me. The relationship had been, and my ex had just abandoned the boys, not having the greatest relationship with my parents. It was just a conglomerate of things. And I had been contemplating from 2010 mm-hmm. to move out here because I saw girls who, let's be for real, were struggling in Bermuda and they were thriving in the UK. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. I'm intelligent, have a degree. I can make a better life for these kids. And since it was clear that I was going to be parenting alone for the most part, I figured I have nothing to lose. So it just so happens, Ajani was doing a trial for um, an academy at National Stadium. Naeem was six at the time and he was running along and this man stopped me and was like, is that your son? He was like, you need to get him out of here. He is talented. Get him out of here. And I was like, well, I've been contemplating but I'm not a change agent. That was July, December, house unsold, car unsold, house unpacked, car unsold, house unrented, nine suitcases, two boys, and a bucket of tears because I had to leave my first and only child, my first daughter, my only child. You know what I'm trying to say. Right, right. (laughs) And we left and had never seen Manchester. The house we were supposed to live in, the landlord pulled out about six days before. Mm -hmm. So we ended up staying in a hotel. And I had a cousin that came with me, thankfully. We stayed in a hotel for two weeks. I found a place. I'm still in the place three and a half years later. But when we landed, it's funny. I was just telling someone this story just about an hour ago. When we landed, I just felt a wave of relief. I just, I'm home. I don't even know what the hell this is going to bring us, but I'm home. I made the boys understand. We got this. We're all each other hairs. And we had this big three-bedroom, two-story flat with no furniture, a TV, Wi-Fi, and an air mattress. <laughs> um, we've been doing it. And I mean, I built life. I had a massive setback with depression because I started the medicine in 2016. And being a strong woman, I was like, me, meds, no, I'm not taking medicine to regulate how I feel about myself. I was on the meds from September to December, left in December and left the pills in Bermuda on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I was fine. And then in 2017, I had a massive setback. Mm -hmm. And I literally just laid on the couch and cried for the whole of probably 2017. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, my cousin was here most times. So he would do everything for the boys. And a friend of mine, and I'm going to call her name because she's so instrumental, Tanya Trott. And she was like, listen get the hell up, get a bath. She called me, she looked at me, had a bath. I'm like, I don't know. You see that on TV, but it is real, right? It is, it is. And um, she said, get your ass up and you are going to get it together. And I was like, "Uh and she was like, okay, all right, now keep moving. And I went back to the doctor. I went to the doctor here and I got some meds and he said, stay on them for six months. But again, I had to realize, like I was mourning Mm-hmm. For me then, it was, how could a man not take care of his child? That was weighing me down, mm-hmm. right? New Year's Eve of 2019, come bringing in 2019, I was in Scotland and things just felt different. And life has just been on the up ever since. Um, my lowest low was in 2018. My mom called me to say that the bailiff was looking for me. And I'm like, looking for me? And I was like, I don't owe any bills or whatever. She was like, yeah, they want to take your house. And before I left, because all the financial strain and stress, before I left Bermuda, I had owed on my mortgage for three months. Although I left the country, I never missed a payment, but I that three months was sitting there and they decided to call it in. And now the child support money was so behind. And I was like, I had to make a choice between paying mortgage and being um, paying rent out her. And I wasn't about to be homeless in a foreign country. Right. But I pulled on the side of the road. I cried my eyes out. Oh my gosh. I couldn't even drive. And I felt like a failure. 
Mm. And I was going to commit suicide. There was a bridge not too far from here, about 10 minutes away. And I was going to drive off that bridge. Real movie like you would be real. You know, it had to be a whole movie scene in it. The only thing that stopped me from doing it is that I love my children more than I love myself. And there's no way that I could leave my kids suffering because I was in a depression because of someone else's action. Mm-hmm. I made it. It was right across the street from where we are now. I came across and Naeem always used to wait for me because I was teaching in a school. Naeem used to wait for me to come home, look out the window. And as God would have it, my cousin had taken him for a walk. But what I did, I drove further up. So if he looked out, he wouldn't see the car. And then I sat there and I cried for another hour. Then I felt bad because I thought about killing myself and cried some more. Well, yeah. But don't you know, once like... You know, I found for myself going through a divorce, I came home and I slept like for a whole week because I was just outside of what was going on. And the same is probably true for yourself. You got out there and you just allowed yourself to really feel or your body just felt everything that you have been feeling. And it was this transformation of just getting it all out of, of having, because, you know, you probably wasn't working at the time, this, that, and the other. So you was able to really delve into these feelings and let them pour out. And it's a good cleansing. It's a horrible feeling in the beginning, but it's a good cleansing. I decompressed, but I think that I allowed myself to decompress too much. Mm-hmm. Because I've always been on the go, on the go, on the go. And when I stopped, instead of just slowing down, I, I allowed myself to stop. I looking back, I shouldn't have done that. I just should have kept moving. But I talked to the kids and like we have a lot of conversations. So I would say to them, listen, mommy's going through about the depression. And now that Kiki is here with us, because Kiki used to do this in Bermuda, she would be like, boys, just leave mama alone. She needs a moment, mm-hmm. right? They, they'll tell you this story that she'll tell you, like, my mama's crazy. I mashed up a Swiffer one time, like, into a billion, billion pieces, smashed it up. I've had my moments, even out here. A Swifter? Um, a Swifter, the purple Swifter girl. We were picking up purple pieces for about six months because I didn't know I could smash into a million pieces. I've had my little episodes out here where I have my little, you know, freak out to such, like, one time kicked the plate up <laughs> to the ceiling. <laughs> like, crazy stuff. But I've never, ever abused my kids. I've never hit my children in anger. And so all Kiki says to me now is, mommy, if you're feeling like you're going through something, tell us. Because you try to hide it from us. Just tell us. Mm. But now they're at this nice age for the most part. It's like they're really cognizant. Like a Johnny, the emotional one. So a Johnny's very in tune. So he could tell me if my vibe is off. And adjust accordingly. And he'll say, come on, Amy, give mama a break. Because Naeem's always underneath me, like to this day. For me, being out here has been a blessing because I made one huge commitment when I moved out here. Yesterday got left behind. The Whatever life I wanted to create for myself, I would do it here. So it's funny when people meet me even now and I giggle because I'm like, you just have no idea who I am, <laughs> you know, and they think like, they're like, oh, they'll say, oh, you're so quiet or you're so shy. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really I found myself out here. I've, I'm doing a master's. I actually have one month to turn in my final project and I'm done. I applied to law school, but I was like, no, nah, I don't want to go. So I'm doing a master's in PR instead. It's revitalized my thirst for writing. Mm -hmm. So the stories that I've gotten since I moved out here, because I'm in a different space, like I can really create. So it's just been an awesome journey. I have no regrets. And the blessings, Sherry, the sacrifice. I made sure my kids had furniture. I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. So I only just got a bed frame in December and I had been out here for three years. I slept on a mattress on the floor. Mm -hmm. You would never know that because Mm -hmm. I was content with my blessings. Right. Right. It's funny because people say, oh my gosh, you have this great life. And I'm like, no, I sacrificed a freaking lot. I felt like the cat's meow when I finally got my bed frame. (laughs) (laughs) The cat's meow. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a journey, but I would do it all over again. How is the depression now? I had a setback. It's interesting. I was fine. I don't take the medication anymore. 
And I'm very conscious of who I have in my circle, Mm -hmm. who I talk to. There are some people in Bermuda who will say, I haven't talked to her in three years. That's on purpose. Mm -hmm. If people don't want to be my friend anymore, I'm fine with it. I'm very conscious of who I have in my space, mentally and emotionally. Because physically, I tend to be alone a lot, or me and the children. I'm not one to go over people's houses, and I don't invite people into my home either like that. But in February, I wrote off to the courts and asked them for the balance and the balance, they gave it back to me. And that threw me in a funk. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not about the money, but I think it was just the, the constant message of this guy doesn't care about his kid. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very hard pill to swallow. I missed an assignment and I was just like, nah, boo, nah. So I went to my teacher. I told her, you know, I was like, I opened up a message I just shouldn't have. I thought I was okay. So mm-hmm. I'm very cognizant of triggers. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a trigger for me because mm-hmm. I just feel like every parent should love their child. And I cannot fathom how a parent can't make sure that their kid's dead or alive. So I had to do some work. I listen to Marissa Peer, P-E-E-R, a lot because she talks about I am enough. So I make sure that I edify myself a lot as well. And so um, I don't need the medication, but I had to release it. So that was the last piece of the puzzle for me. I had to release the child support. I wanted to cancel it out and everyone's like, don't do it, but I don't rely on it. So if it comes, it comes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I'm finally okay with that. So I haven't had a bowl since February and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but in the space I'm in now, it will be highly unlikely for it to come back to that extent, you know, to where it paralyzes me. So with your depression, you know, want to leave the audience with, you know, it's okay with medication and it's okay to do some meditation. It's okay to listen to some inspirational, motivational persons, but it's even better to protect your space, your surroundings, your energy, and the people that's in it. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's okay to say, I'm not okay. When I did a piece for SheHub called, don't forget to check on your strong friends, right? I had so many girls hit me up or corner me somewhere when they saw me and say, you know, I've had depression. I don't like popular women, teachers, um, personalities, all different facets of women, but they're afraid to say it. Mm. And I think that if, ah. if, we, if we talk about it and let's be for real, not everyone is vocal, right? Mm-hmm. But if we talk about it, it becomes okay to discuss Madison If I needed a boost, I would go and take the medication. I saw it as a sign of weakness initially Mm. because strong me, I don't need nobody's meds to make, you know, but meds, if you need to take them, take them. If you don't, it's okay. It is okay. Yeah. Even with talking to my kids, I talk to them. They know because I just feel why, if I can't be honest with the three little beings that grew within me, then I can't be honest with anybody. Right. You know, because I want them to be able, even within themselves, when you have boys, and at one point I felt that a Johnny was struggling emotionally and he wanted to cry and he wouldn't let it out. I'm like, boy, let that cry out. If you need a scream and curse, go ahead, let it out. Because we know what happens when you hold it in. Mm-hmm. And not everyone can bounce back. Right. From, you know? What were you going to say, Kim? I was just going to say that I think in our community, we tend not to talk about depression and you made a good point when it's frowned upon or it's the reality of life. Every day is not a rainbow, bubblegum, lollipop kind of day. And some days you may reflect on things that takes you to a place where it's hard to get up. Mm -hmm. But as I said, when you have those circle of friends who can empower you, who you can share, this is not a good day. Or they know you so well to know, like your friend did, get up. And Kim knows, Kim knows me. She was, Kim, Kim would do, you all right? 
You good? <laughs> Just checking on you. But that's what <laughs> friends do. That's what friends do. And as women, we have so much on our plates, mm-hmm. so much on our plates that we're dealing with that we need those outlets. And if it takes for you to break a plate before I break a skull, then that's what I need to do. The swifter has got me because I'm like, well, how much? Because <laughs> it's a, like a mop. Like what? How could I you that Real quick. So I remember like yesterday. So let's see. Kiki was about, Emi wasn't even walking. So Emi was probably like just inside of one. Johnny and Kiki were nine and three and they were arguing these two arguing I'm like stop and I could feel it coming I'm like stop just stop they wouldn't stop and I took the Swiffer and I just went ham and I remember Naeem on the floor just looking at me as if say this woman's crazy (laughs) but that was even instrumental because a Johnny dropped a pitcher of drink and he came into me and this is in Bermuda and he was so afraid and I saw this look of fear in his eyes and I was like I never want my kids to be afraid of me. Mm-hmm. That's when I actually went. And the Center Against Abuse in Bermuda, they used to have this program for women. And I did the program and, and they said, if, if you're going to participate, it's a three-month intensive. And the condition is that you must tell the truth. You must walk in your truth. I went and it was the best three months I ever did in my life. And I cried and I screamed and I vented and I ranted. And I graduated the day before my 37th birthday. Mm. But I look back and I I have a lot of pivotal moments and they're Mm -hmm. all now. Like I even pray, Kim, you talked about praying over your kids. I do it all the time. And then the other thing I do is I pray for me because I feel like I've wasted so many years of my life worrying about what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Lord, I know now. And I tell this to anyone. I say it to my 19-year-old. The clock does not tick backwards. Mm-hmm. And I remember being 25 the other day. And then how is it that Sherry returned 46? Like, what? I know. I know. So, but again, someone said to me, well, you're saying the wasted years, but they're a part of that journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like, Lord, please keep me because... I messed up wasting those great, my 30s and my early 40s. I lost them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't get them back, but I can live about it tomorrow. Well, right. Carla, that's my prayer too, every day. Every day that he gives me another day to get up is to make it better than the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm always good for it because everyone's got the little things. I like to schedule a cry once a month. <laughs> And people think I'm crazy when I say that. I'm like, no, it gives me an opportunity. Like, you know, I'm not just sitting here. And eat. Usually something triggers it. But when it does, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let it all out. And it's usually in the shower or something. And then I'm like, some deep breathing. <sighs> okay, this was the one for the month. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember October 30th, 2000. And when did I have a Johnny? I was in the shower stressed out and I wanted to cry, right? This is how much of a strong woman I was. And I, now I look back, it's like, you was a freak. And I wanted to cry. I'm in the shower alone and wouldn't allow myself to cry. Wow. And I was like, chick. And I was pregnant and I was like, let it out. But I just affiliated crying with weakness. And it's like, no, because we have so many whether they're learned or, you know, we absorb them or whatever, these unhealthy ways of dealing with emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tell my kids, let it out, let it out. I don't care what you say. There's no punishment for being honest about your feelings. Exactly. Because we do it as young people. Then when we get become adults, we become so screwed up mm-hmm. because we're holding on. But Sherry, I don't schedule. That's a whole nother level of weirdo, but... And Carla, I would like, it's interesting too, because I do think that I kind of reflect on how I parent my son, how would he turn out in the future? Because I do also encourage him, express yourself, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, whether or not I agree with it, it is your feelings. They belong to you and no one can tell you that they are right or wrong because they are yours. And because of that, I do feel like 
we're giving them the opportunity to see and to understand when days may not be going well for us, it's okay to express it. It's okay for me to be by myself or even for you to be by yourself. If today's not the day that you want to hug and, and talk with mom, I can respect that because you're a human being and your feelings are valid. But and usually the schedule, Carla, let me just put this out there. It's usually around the time of the month. You know what I mean? It seems to come around that time of scheduled time. But my whole thing is that my whole premise is to not stay stuck in it. Give yourself a day, maybe two, whether that looks like you're sleeping all day, you're crying all day or whatever the case may be, but it could only be for 24, 48 hours. And then we're going to get up. And if your circle knows that I'm like, just give me a minute. Okay. Hit you up tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need it for the, you know what I mean? And it's all about that support and that circle. You said something earlier. I know it's kind of like going backwards, but the one thing also with the parenting side of it, I believe in the realism, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe in lying to the children about anything. So for example, we went, Naeem wanted this bike. Oh my gosh, he wanted this bike. And he used to go and price it every time we went in this little shopping center, blah, 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 blah. He was promised he would get the bike and the promise fell through. I didn't promise it to him. And he had a meltdown, screaming, crying, ranting, raving in the parking lot of this place. And I'm like, hold on, honey, hold on. Did I promise you the bike? It's like, no. I just said, why are you shouting at me? Like, I do the realism with them as well, because I want them to understand about healthy channeling of emotions and communicating with people who disappoint you, who make you happy, who evoke whatever emotion mm-hmm. out of you. And I said, babe, if mommy could afford the bike, you would have it. But I didn't promise you that bike. So please don't embarrass me in public like this, because it's not going to end well. And he stopped. He had to check himself. Mm-hmm. Because even that plays into your mental health as well. I'm not going to be, and I let these kids know as well, I don't care how old you are, I'm not going to be an emotional punching bag. Mm -hmm. I am not taking the licks for other people. I'm not doing it. I will support you in your expression of your feelings. You are not going to make me the bad guy in everything that goes wrong that I had no dealings with. Mm -hmm. I'm very clear, you know? And sometimes they're like, ooh, I'm like, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> well, in wrapping up, Carla, tell us how you have found your happiness, empowerment, and development, and how are you able to maintain it? And just for your life, how are you able to find those things and maintain it? Living in truth, living in peace, no longer worrying about things and people I cannot control, mm-hmm. and being thankful for every little blessing, no matter how small it is. As long as I see my children happy, I know that I'm doing okay. And I go to sleep every night with a smile on my face. Okay. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Carla. I appreciate you. Love you. Thank you, Carla. It was nice to meet you. Great interview. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate this, ladies. It was awesome. Thanks for joining us this week on Giving Head, the podcast. And make sure you check us out on Instagram and Facebook for more information on this head episode. And as always, subscribe to the show to catch every new head episode and leave us a review so we can continue to bring you that good head. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.